So the goal is the 1% per year from 2020 to 2030. We don't want to have to tell a supplier, this is how you run your business. There's not a one size fits all. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Smart Energy Voices. I'm John Fiella. In today's episode, we'll be in conversation with Alyssa Yakali, Supply Chain Sustainability Manager at Honda of America Manufacturing, Inc., and Joey Lang, Senior Director, Client Services at Edison Energy, for an inside look at Honda's 10 years of experience in working with their supply chain to reduce emissions and how they're currently working with Edison Energy to take their supply chain program to the next level. Let's dive right in. Well, Alyssa and Joey, thanks very much for joining us today. And why don't we start with uh, having each of you tell us a little bit about yourselves and your current roles. So Alyssa, why don't we start with you? Thank you very much. I am a graduate of Western Michigan University from the Hayworth College of Business and came to Honda directly after graduation. So with that, I have a really cool experience with Honda starting in the plant, purchasing, moved into auto procurement as far as the negotiation of car parts, then moved to power sports, more negotiation. So I've been in purchasing my entire career. I've had the, I guess, the blessing of starting in the sustainability unit about eight years ago, and now leading that team for all of the 700 plus suppliers in North America. So I am very proud of my company and happy with my career path. That's super. So you are a career Honda person. That's it. Yeah, which is unusual these days. Congratulations for that. Joey, how about you? Thanks for having us, John. This is great. So I'll start with college as well. I was University of Tennessee undergrad for engineering and then took a roundabout path to where I am today. I was in Teach for America right out of undergrad, teaching high school math out in Colorado for three years. So I love that. I love the education, uh, you know, being in education and, and teaching. So that does kind of loop back to what I do today and, and my passions right now. But decided I want to get back into a little more technical side of things. So I went to, back to business school and got an MBA in clean tech finance which led me to Walmart as my first job out of MBA school. So at Walmart, I, I focused, I was on the renewable energy team building their on-site projects for solar and fuel cells. And then the second half of my career there, last two years, was all around origination of, of battery storage and EV infrastructure. And then I left Walmart about four years ago to come to Edison Energy, my current role, where I was a manager on the client services team, which was focusing on leading client engagements from education, back to that education, love for education piece, education through strategy, implementation, and execution of their renewable energy goals. We've been leading that team for the last two years, overseeing all of our client engagements. Great. Well, going back to school for clean tech finance was a great call. Did you ever think clean tech finance was going to blow up the way it has recently? 
Not really. So I went, I went to Texas and Texas is big oil and gas state, obviously. So there were only four of us in the clean tech finance program at the time. And I think it's about a hundred now. It just shows how, where the trends are moving. Yeah. That's a great story. Thank you, Joey. Alyssa, you've been part of Honda's supply chain sustainability work kind of since it started in 2012. You've been manager of the unit since 2015. Why don't you give us your perspective on the scope of Honda's overall commitment to sustainability and how it's evolved over the years? Yeah, thank you. So the suppliers actually, even before I came on board in 2012, started looking and reporting their data in 2010. So there was a little bit of a jump start before I came. It started with 60 suppliers, very small, intimate group trying to understand how to get the data, explaining it to the suppliers, scope one, scope two, scope three. And so really the education started in 2008. 2010 is when we really started, okay, this is going to be our first year of real reporting. And then all the way each year, we've brought on more and more suppliers. And I'm proud to announce that we have well over 400 suppliers that actively report their data to us. We are now reporting through CDP, which has been a huge help. So we're, we're being able to then look at that last 10 years. We have taken a deep dive within each of the suppliers' data to make sure that their trends make sense. If they don't make sense, my team can go back and say, hey, did you miss a plant? Please help me understand. So we've really come a long way in understanding the data and getting to the supplier's trust and knowing that we can help them. So now moving into 2020, our new base year, our new benchmark year, we can start again. Well, Alyssa, that's really impressive that the company has been engaged in working with suppliers on sustainability for over 10 years. You're gathering data from 400 suppliers. There's obviously been a major commitment at the company to sustainability. What do you think were the drivers behind that commitment to sustainability at Honda? The top drivers of sustainability, definitely our top executives. So CO2 reduction is top of the business plan in North America as well in Japan. So we've had their support. And then also it's building trust with our suppliers. So that has been top of the line in building that trust year over year, adding new suppliers and going through their data with them. Well, given what you've been able to accomplish in in, in 10 years, I, I can't wait to get into this in a lot more detail. And I would imagine everyone that's that's listening is is really looking forward to to the lessons learned. Joey, so Alyssa has been a career Honda person. You've kind of viewed this from a number of different angles at your time at Walmart and now at your time at, at Edison Energy. How does Honda's approach kind of compare to what you're seeing in the, in the broader market? Yeah, I'd say they are really a market leader, how they're handling their sustainability goals and achieving those. First, they practice what they preach, which is really important. As Alyssa said, they've got top-down approval for doing this, and, it, and it's a, a clear initiative for the company. And they've shown that by doing this themselves in 2019 with, with two projects that they executed. So it took a lot of effort within Honda to get those, those deals across the line. They started about three years previous to that, into that late 2016 on that initiative to, to address their own scope to emissions in North America. That's when Edison got involved with Honda on the renewable side. We actually went, we go 20 years back on natural gas advisory procurement and still work with their plants on that. 
So we have got a great relationship with with Honda, and that's where that started as far as the trust goes back 20 years and then three and a half years now for renewables. But yeah, they started really on their own scope two journey first, have executed two deals, 320 megawatts between wind and solar that, that one of them's coming online at the end of this year in Oklahoma wind project and another solar project in 2023. So that's going to address about 60% of their North American energy needs for renewable energy. And now with that, they've really paved the way for approvals on that side for, for doing their own projects, but also getting their accounting and finance and treasury teams aligned and an understanding of what it takes to get these deals done. So now they can really be a great educational resource and a leader to all this, their suppliers that they've already built this trust with to say, look, we've done it. We know how to do it. Now we can help you achieve your goals as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we've just started the conversation and trust has already come up a couple of times and I'm looking forward to drilling down on that in a little more detail shortly. It, it sounds to me like, Joey, that Alyssa referenced that it, it was a carbon emissions reduction goal and target that really fueled their, their activities at the company. What general trends are you seeing around companies making sustainability commitments? How important are emission reduction commitments versus renewable energy goals versus other other factors? Yeah, it's a great question. So as, as we all know, the, the commitments have, have come on strong recently. And that, that's really the biggest trend is people are committing to across the, the spectrum, different targets. All of these are ambitious goals, but starting with a, a certain emissions reduction or renewable energy target, either as a percentage or megawatts, moving into science-based target initiative, which we've seen a lot of companies been, been moving towards. And that's really giving kind of a framework for how they're going to need to address not only their scope twos, but also their scope one and scope three emissions. Beyond that, you go to you know, full carbon neutral and something like Microsoft is carbon negative. So you know, there's a full spectrum of, of what people are committing to. And really during COVID, back in March, we, we were trying to think through What's going to happen with the renewable industry right now? And we kind of assume that most companies were going to have their hands full with trying to figure out how to, to handle with COVID, of course, and they, and they are. But at the same time, we've actually seen more people doubling down on what they're doing for the environment and their sustainability goals. So I feel like the last eight months has been more of a ramp there than we've ever seen. So it's been really impressive. Yeah. That's interesting. And thanks for adding that perspective. We did some joint research recently with Bloomberg NEF. And while COVID has had a dramatic impact on budgets and available funding for projects, we've seen that the there's been no change in the level of commitment, that the corporate commitment remains intact. And then I guess the only thing I'd like to add is the whole issue around ESG financing and investor pressure for companies to have solid sustainability goals, that investor pressure is unrelenting. So we think for a number of reasons, the the commitments are going to continue. So that gives us a take on kind of Honda's overall sustainability journey. Maybe we can now drill down a little further about Honda's history and working with suppliers. Alyssa, you're clearly one of the first people to be working with suppliers in this vein. You've been doing it for for over eight years, and now you're managing the effort. Tell us about how your role has evolved and your activities have evolved in working with suppliers to help them reduce their emissions during this this eight-year period. Definitely, the data collection has been the focus for these past 10 years. And through those years, we did try maybe one-off activities where we would go talk to the supplier's upper management and share 
their data, what my team does, how we can help. So we would go to different supplier sites and have those conversations with their top management, their executives. You can't keep doing that for 400 suppliers. So we would do that with the big hitters, teach the importance. There's nothing like a face-to-face conversation when you can have it. But the focus truly was that data collection and the trust. So as we could keep getting the data in, analyzing it and sharing, we would try maybe one or two more different programs where we could team up with maybe treasure hunts or team up with the University of Dayton and they would go in and do energy audits that were for free. So we really wanted to give the suppliers free opportunities to reduce. What are those different tools? But it was never a process. It was one-off. And so we really learned a lot over these 10 years that we need to put together a program, a process, then we can push our suppliers or encourage our suppliers to go through that process. So we have done a great job in building the trust and getting the data up until now. Now we want to take 2020 to 2030 and really focus on the CO2 reduction. And so that is our new journey. And looking at the 400 plus suppliers that we have right now, that's approximately 96% of our spend. So that's a sweet spot. To get any higher is probably not going to happen. And so we're really good with this number of suppliers. And so now we've got this group. And with that group, we can take it to the next step. Yeah, interesting. Here's what I really like about what you just said, Alyssa. So many times these supply chain programs are viewed as one way. I'm the large customer and here's what I'm going to require of you and you need to give us this data and you need to fill out these scorecards and you need to comply with these procedures. What I like about what I heard in your approach is that you really treated it as a program and supplying data was one piece of it, but you helped with energy audits, you helped with tools and education which is great. Joey, you know, you see the approaches that large power users are taking in other industry sectors because of your work at at Edison. How do you see what Pond is doing compare with what other large power users are doing in trying to engage their supply chain to reduce their scope three emissions? Yeah. And we've already hit on a lot. The fact that they've been at this for a while is definitely a differentiator compared to what a lot of others have been doing. This is a big topic these days. There are many people that are interested in, in working with their supply chains and, and reducing those emissions because it's a large portion of the overall emissions, You know, sometimes as much as 10x their own scope two emissions. So it's something that people need to tackle if they're going to tackle their sustainability and carbon goals. But the way Honda's gone about it, I think, is, is has really shown great leadership of truly a partnership and like you said, why are the su- suppliers going to want to get involved? And, and in this case, it's because they're getting something out of it, not just a mandate that Honda is setting and saying, hey, you've got to cut your emissions or we're going to take credit for your emissions reductions. It's truly, we're going to help you. We're going to educate you on your opportunities. And this is going to be good for your company. And here's why. Yeah. It's really the core of my team is good customer service. If we are treating those suppliers as our customers, it's really a win-win and we both want to reduce. And so it's been a, a really good journey in building relationships and with the building of relationships, trust and customer service. So thank you, Joey. So if we're treating our suppliers as customers, then it's a win-win 
Number one, that's a heck of a soundbite. <laughs> Number two, it's the first time I've ever heard somebody say that in a context of trying to develop a supply chain sustainability program. Joey, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and maybe ask the question from a different angle. From what you see in the market, what do you think is the biggest mistake large companies make when they try to engage their suppliers for a supply chain sustainability program? And what do you think is the key or the secret to getting suppliers to actually join in? Great question. I think the lack of jumping in before you've got a, a clear view of the data, because getting that data, as Alyssa said, I mean, it takes a long time. Getting getting them to trust you to give the right data and put the time in to, to do that correctly is, is a lot. So starting with where your baseline is, is key. A lot of people will jump in before you necessarily have all that a clear view of, of what the whole supply chain looks like. Without that, you can't make the right decisions of how are you going to actually tackle this? What kind of program are you going to set up? Are you going to are you going to talk to your top five largest emitting suppliers, even though that's only going to be 25% of your emissions? That's a big chunk. And then what do you do with the other 395? So I think that looking at the data, coming up with what the plan is first is, is key. And so that's kind of where Honda's at right now. They've, they've been able to develop the, the trust and partnership to get it. And then also pitch it as, as a true partnership. I, I think that's, that's really key. You know, rather than just setting a mandate, which a lot have done, there's no real carrot there for them to, to do that. So I think showing them how they can benefit from participating in a program, helping educate them, maybe saying, hey, these are free resources we're going to give you that you would otherwise have to pay for. All of those things are, are really key to what Hanna's done. If I may elaborate too, one thing is we would have a core set of suppliers that we would say, hey, we highly recommend that you join us use that customer service and the trust, but then make sure that we invited everyone. Because if you invite the full 400, even when you're focused on just 60, you'll be surprised who wants to participate. So we make sure that as we roll out new initiatives, that we have a focus group and we highly recommend and encourage that team or that group, but then we make sure that we invite everyone. Everyone has the same opportunity. So all 700 suppliers are welcome to join us. And so we may have some of the smaller suppliers out there, but making sure that we are treating our entire supply chain the same and making sure that they all have the same opportunities, I think is also part of that good customer service and trust. Okay. That makes sense to me. And Joey, to kind of distill what you said in two pieces, and we'll do the second piece first because it's what Alyssa amplified, but it's about treating it as a partnership. Oftentimes, I see these supply chain programs introduced, and from the supplier's perspective, it almost feels punitive. And rather than it feeling punitive, this is very collaborative, very partnership-focused, and then... The first point you made, Joey, was I, I think about how it, you really need a strategic approach. This can't be half thought through. You really need a plan. You need a strategy. And those are two, I think, good, good takeaways for listeners to consider who are thinking about starting down this road. So, Alyssa, you've been at this for eight years. I'm going to ask you to turn the Wayback Machine on and try to reflect back on things that happened eight years ago. So, when you got started, what were some of the biggest challenges that you encountered in getting suppliers engaged with the program? And those lessons are important, right? Because many people find themselves in that situation now. 
So first, I truly believe that the supply base was not ready. They didn't understand the importance. They didn't understand any of the definitions, the lingo. So we had to do a lot of education. The supply base wasn't ready. But that also gave us the jump so we could educate and engage. So that is a big part of it. We had to educate them on what is scope one and scope two and scope three. So every year we would host in person, which was nice, we would host maybe three or four different face-to-face sessions where they could come in and learn, bring in their bills, bring in any type of energy and information they had, and we helped them complete the, the data or help them put together what we needed. So we were very hands-on. Interesting. Yeah. So eight years ago, you were doing this before it was a thing. <laughs> right. And I'm so glad because we we have the data. I love to say that we have 10 years of solid data. Yeah, that's outstanding. And you really, you treated it from an education perspective. So you really, you just, you demonstrated some faith that if the suppliers understood things that they would want to join in. Yeah, it's truly, that's exactly it. If I don't know why the heck am I doing something, then I don't, I'm not as receptive. So we really try to give that education, why this is happening, why it's important. I always start off with talk of the business plan. This data is, is not just for your health. We are, it's being used. And again, more, more thanks is that we do appreciate them to be interactive. Yeah, that really kind of touches on this whole element of trust, right? And, and what, from my observation, and be it Walmart and their Project Gigaton and other large power users that have tried to engage their supply chains, suppliers need to know that the information they share isn't going to be used against them, which is all about trust. So how did you, how did you go about building trust with your suppliers during the early years of your program? So with Honda and the, the building of trust in the early years of our program, I don't want to know how much money they're saving. I let them deal with that, let them use that savings any way they want. I want to know how much CO2 you're reducing. So with them saying, you're not going to ask that money back, you are not, nope, please keep your money. Don't share that with me. That is your confidential information and just show me the CO2. And that has been a huge point of success. And also we started, and we're the first automotive manufacturer in North America, we have a sustainability scorecard. So the suppliers, as they start giving us this data and reporting, we can share back with them where they stand to the target and where they stand versus their peers. So not just giving us data and not getting anything in return, This scorecard then, sustainability scorecard, can get shared with their top executives and with their stakeholders to say how they're doing in Honda's eyes. So it's been uh, two ways of really building trust. Yeah, a great point. And whenever I hear scorecard, uh, there's a follow-up question I have to ask, right? And that is, how do you use that scorecard in kind of vendor selection at all. What's the benefit to a vendor to having a great score on their scorecard? So at this point in the journey, it's truly for transparency. We wanted to tell the suppliers or show the suppliers, we're not just taking your data and putting it into a dark vault that's never being used. 
So full transparency. And we do this for many different aspects of sustainability, not just for environmental sustainability. So it's a full gamut on this scorecard. So first, transparency. The second, maybe two, three years from now, I'll be able to use this scorecard with our purchasing associates that are that are setting these we call them maker layouts or who's making the part and let them know, hey, this supplier is not meeting the target. This supplier is red maybe in another aspect of sustainability. It's not going to take away the business, but it's going to start a conversation. And so with those conversations, we can start slowly. And then who knows, five, 10 years from now, sustainability may get a little bit more elevated and make those harder decisions. But at this point, I can truly say for the next two, three, four years, it's transparency and starting a conversation. Yeah. I guess that conversation proves that you're paying attention. Yes. Which is which is important. Joey, I've got to ask, any thoughts or reflections on your part of kind of the use of supplier scorecards in this manner in, in terms of what you've seen at Edison Energy and other industry sectors? Yeah, I think you hit it. The transparency piece is key. And then and letting them know that no matter how big their emissions footprint is, it matters because there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution for how Honda is able to help these suppliers you know, address these emissions. So getting all of the data through the entire supply chain reported and then having Honda recognize that they're looking at it, they're, they're studying this information, using that ultimately to be able to help make decisions or or figure out partnerships within their supply chain and how, how different companies can work together because they're having similar problems or, or not problems, but difficulties or getting over a, a certain into that next level. I think that'll be key to be able to find the right partnerships and, and build out a strategy when you've got full transparency. Joey, you said something that was really interesting to me, which is making Honda look at the data. Really, these scorecards that we started are, are holding us accountable. And I think it does come into that customer service piece. So if we're asking the suppliers for this data, then yeah, we are being held accountable to review it and get back to them and that full plan, do, check, act type of process. So yeah, thank you for that. So Alyssa, in the early years, you talked about setting your suppliers up for success by providing them tools, approaching this from an education standpoint, as opposed to a mandate standpoint. Can you elaborate on how you've set suppliers up for success? What types of tools have you put in place early on versus kind of what you're putting in place now? Right. So early on, it was that piece, those pieces. We never had one process or we would say, okay, we're going to go visit our top executives, the top execs at suppliers. Oh, now we're going to go ahead and do energy audit. So nothing, everything was very one-off. Now, starting in 2020, moving to 2030, we've got more of a process to help the suppliers engage. We call it our Green Excellence Program. So with that program, that hopefully will then set us up for success for their suppliers to reduce their CO2 footprint from 2020 to 2030, 1% per year absolute, which is a tough target but we think we have the suppliers that are going to do it as well as the tools to assist. Okay. So you're at 400 suppliers now that you're, that you're working with. You started eight years ago, kind of what was the, what was the tipping point in the process where you noticed, 
you weren't having to sell as much and people were more willingly getting involved with the program? I think I want to say almost three years ago when we hit that 400 mark, it was a, a light bulb. We're not having to push as hard. The data is rolling in. We only have to make follow-up questions to ask for maybe some explanation, not to grovel and ask for them to please submit their data. So it really happened so slowly that all of a sudden we had 400 suppliers and we had our data. It was truly a slow process, a very slow process, but it worked. Yeah. So getting to 400, was it a gradual build or was there a hockey stick where it really went up dramatically? No, we would focus on, in, in the early years, it was 60, 80 suppliers. And then we slowly brought it in 50, 50, 50, so that we got all the way up to where we are now. And and then also it helps when you engage the entire supply chain and we invite all those suppliers to participate, makes your next year's targets easier to achieve. Alyssa, that, that's interesting and in that you talk about engaging suppliers. I now want to talk about kind of what's next, what, what's the next phase of this program for you. You mentioned some specific goals for suppliers. You mentioned the one just now about the 1% annual CO2 reduction commitment. Are there any other goals or commitments that, that, that you're trying to partner with your suppliers on as part of this program? So the goal is the 1% per year from 2020 to 2030. We don't want to have to tell a supplier, this is how you run your business. There's not a one size fits all. We have a very small team of three associates for North America that does this work. We three cannot go to 400 different locations and talk to top executives. So we really started to think about how can we make the biggest impact with the greatest amount of suppliers and not be, I guess, strapped for resources because we are all, in the, especially within the COVID times, strapped for resources. So we're putting together and we're teaming up with a third party for an energy management system. And within that, it's a platform where the supplier can then put in their projects, target different projects, and then I can see with their projections, what is their absolute CO2 going to look like in 10 years? So this company has done a great job to program it to make sure that it it will make sense for my strategy. So then we are investing in this company, asking suppliers to join for a small fee if they do not have an energy management system. If they already have something in place, great. Tell us about it. We really want to know and interact with the suppliers, and then we can move forward. So really, it's a transparency on what are you using. If you only use Excel sheets, please look at this other company slash cloud-based program because we do need to see as Honda, what is your 10-year projection? Yeah. So you're actually deepening your engagement with suppliers. And I like this idea of making this energy management system available. You reference you're doing it with a small fee and you're obviously picking up a large chunk of the expense Why do you think it's important for there to be a small fee for the participating supplier? That is a great question. And we have a lot of suppliers that say, Alyssa, we're being charged for this and that. When there's a small fee, we really feel like there's an initiative. They have to go to their upper management to get even that small fee. So with them having to go through the different channels to get that small amount of money, they're getting support. 
So if we know that they're getting that support, they're going to be in for the long haul. Yeah. So they've got to put some skin in the game. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting technique to engage your your suppliers. How are you engaging suppliers in the in the development of your program? Similar to working with Edison Energy, there's a great team involved. So because my team is so small, with us investing in this company, that team can then help us engage. They're helping us with the webinars for education. They're helping us making the phone calls on behalf of Honda. But we want to make sure, too, that this company is involved in working with us. But my team, we want to make sure we reach out and the suppliers know that they're not being dumped off. So it's that team approach. So, yes, it's a third party that's helping us and we're it's working very well. What's really neat, too, within this is that my goal is we all know that CO2 in the United States is definitely not mandated. So we really need to make the supplier's job easier if they want to work with us. So I'm engaging with other OEMs, original equipment manufacturers in North America, to see, okay, can you guys join this endeavor? Suppliers report their data once, they allocate it to the different manufacturing facilities, and that's it. They just have to do the data once or do the work one time. And if they can put this cloud energy management system into their everyday process, it should not be extra work. And so we do have one more OEM coming on board in the next couple months. So two of us, which will be really great for those suppliers that they can allocate their emissions. Okay, great. Joey, Alyssa's mentioned some interesting tactics and approaches to engaging their suppliers directly in, in the process. Anything that, that you've seen in, in the marketplace around supplier engagement that is worthy of, of note or mention? I think the trend towards collaboration within within an industry is, is really important. And you know, Honda's leading in that. But we're seeing it in a couple other sectors as well when they share a very very similar supply chain base. You know, there's no reason for each of their those companies to set a different target that, like Alyssa said, they're all going to have to track. If they want to reduce their CO2 emissions, they should be able to do that once, and and all of their companies that they're they're selling to benefit from that from their you know, scope three emissions. So I think that's a really big piece, and something that's going to drive a lot of this collaboration going forward. So it's great to see the Honda and, and other OEMs are doing that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, on the supplier side, those are the complaints you hear. Everyone's got their own forms, their own system. You want to be able to report once and have it all registered. And what's really cool about this system also is that the suppliers can work within their own. So maybe they have four or five different facilities. Those facilities can put their information into this one cloud-based system and then share So facility A wants to know what's going on in B, it's easy and they're right there at a fingertip. And then also if the Honda suppliers have access to each other. So if they want to engage and put something out on the board as far as, hey, what's going on on with your HVAC, then another supplier can pipe in or even out of industry that are within this cloud-based system. It could be even where if the OEM has a supplier that is shared, they have that access. It's full confidentiality until the supplier chooses to reach out and ask different questions within the the boards, the working boards. That's a great idea. So they're able to actually benchmark with other suppliers using the, the platform. Yes. And we as Honda take our best practices that are 
acceptable to be put out in the public, we have our own idea board. And so the suppliers can go on and see what's working with Honda and what's possibly not. That's great. Very progressive. Really fantastic program, Alyssa. So you you alluded to the importance of the partnership you have with Edison Energy. And, and obviously, at some levels, it goes back 20 years. I mean, you're this major multinational global powerhouse. Why do you need a, a partner like Edison Energy to play a role in this next phase of where you're taking your supply chain sustainability program? What I'm really proud of is that we are not trying to be the experts. So we have found a company that we trust and that we've built a relationship with, and we can rely on them to be the experts. What's really important in my world is that I cannot ask and I will not ask a supplier to do something that Honda has not done already. So with that, with Edison Energy teaming up with Honda, and they're already putting forth these VPPAs, virtual purchase power agreements, now I can share with my suppliers, look what this company has helped us with. We trust them. And then now I can ask my suppliers to engage. Okay. That makes sense. And there comes the trust word again, which is kind of popped up numerous times during this during this episode. Joey, it, it, it sounds like Edison Energy is obviously playing a, a pivotal role in Honda's supply chain management program from a sustainability standpoint with their suppliers. From your point of view, kind of how does the current program work and how's it evolved over time? So I would say on the, the supply chain stuff, it's relatively young in, in its initiatives. From I mean, obviously, the listen team have been doing it for a while, but on the renewable side of engaging the suppliers, now that they've got the bench line with all the, the benchmark with all the data, now it's set the strategy and plan. And that's where we're at right now is on a weekly basis, we, we have meetings with the listen team. And, and honestly, a lot of it's just brainstorming of what have we seen work for other companies? What, what are the options that we can do here? What are the implications for some of these structures that we would put in place? And, and how is that going to impact their suppliers or even dealerships in some cases? So getting Alyssa's feedback of, we've already had those discussions, that's, that's probably not going to fly, or that's a risk they may not be wanting to take. So there's just a lot of brainstorming over the last probably six months. And, and that's starting to come together in, in the form of education sessions with the supplier network, letting them know here are the opportunities that are out there. And please reach out, this is of interest to you, and we can start putting together these teams, these groups of, of suppliers that could work together. And whether that's Honda leading that initiative through something like a PPA aggregation, which is a possibility. There is no one size fits all solution for these suppliers. So understanding that going in and saying, you know, the aggregation might be a chunk of what we're trying to do, but there's another 400, 300 companies out there that may not be able to do a PPA for a number of reasons. So it's what are the other opportunities they have? And so that's kind of where we're at right now. The, the first was, let's look at trying to engage people on and educating them on a PPA tell the story of what Honda's done and how they how they could do their own, either in partnership with Honda or in partnership with others. And then the next is, outside of just the PPA, here are all the other things you can do based on your geography and your size and, and your credit rating and your ownership structure. There's a lot of questions that need to be answered of maybe community solar works for some people in a given state or on-site solar works. You know, maybe it's a rec purchase in the short term going to something more substantial three or four years from now. Yeah, it's everything goes approach but also just having very open conversations with Honda and getting feedback from the suppliers on, on what they want out of this. Yeah, really interesting. I mean, that answer had a lot of dimensions to it. 
So first, there's the value add in terms of what you're doing with Alyssa and her team, and that is you're bringing ideas to them from other sectors and other companies that you see working in this this area, and you're kind of collaborating with them to determine what might work and be possible. You're then partnering with Hanja on this education process to educate their supplier base. And you're educating them on VPPAs and how you did one with Honda and what that might look like for them. And I would imagine you'll actually do the work and get involved with the suppliers to actually make things happen. So it's it's advisory with Honda, it's education with the supplier base, and then it's actually making things happen when you when you lock in on things. That's a pretty cool model. And I see how other large power users could really kind of benefit from that support because it answers a lot of the kind of pain points and issues that they have in making things happen. I mean, this this really makes for a great case study. So Joey, maybe we'll start with you. I'm wondering in terms of kind of where things are, are headed, where do you see things going forward in terms of supply chain sustainability programs and partnering with companies to help them reduce their supplier emissions? Historically, Edison has focused on scope two emissions, which would be helping people access renewable energy that would offset their their brown power needs. That is really kind of the low-hanging fruit here to helping suppliers with their scope twos. It's people know what their energy needs are. There's clearly ways to be able to do that with the acquisition of renewable energy credits through a number of different forms. And that in itself is extremely complicated, even though that's the easiest one to do. It's really hard to, to get 400 different companies or 800 different companies that all have their own hurdles to be able to do these things. And I'm sure they want to do them, but it's just how can they get internal approval based on the size? And do they have enough load to be able to, to do a power purchase agreement on their own? Do they have the credit rating they need? Are they a private company? Who are they owned by? All of these things are going to kind of dictate what they can do for their own scope to emissions. That's the first step, tackling people's scope to emissions, and, and that is difficult in and of itself. And then it's scope one and scope three, which will be a huge undertaking and how how to help support that. So companies like Honda, either it's a lot of it's gonna be educated education, but Honda's already done even engineering partnerships with other OEMs on on just advancing technologies and things that could that could help scope one and scope three from their product use. So we see a lot of green bonds happening in the market right now, which a lot of those funds could be used for maybe an energy efficiency fund for people to do their suppliers to tap into. So yeah, scope two, I think will be the first tranche and then scope one and three will come. And a lot of that's technology that doesn't even exist today. That's going to have to have a concerted effort to make that happen. Right. So you're talking in terms of like an OEM would issue a green bond and the proceeds would be used to help their suppliers with efficiency programs? That's definitely a potential. And we've seen a lot of our clients moving towards green bonds recently, and they've used them from all things from covering their own PPAs to lead certified buildings that they're building. But energy efficiency funds are one of the things that people are looking at to give their suppliers access to cheap capital to do some of these projects that they may not be able to fund on their own. Yeah, well, this whole ESG finance and sustainable finance is just a, a booming area. And I know the demand for green bonds, for people who want to invest in green bonds, far outstrips the supply. So the thought of large, 
I've heard of large power users issuing green bonds to finance their own sustainability programs. The thought of taking it to the next step and having large power users issue green bonds that they could use to help with their with work with their suppliers is really a pretty pretty cool idea. Yeah, we're, we're in a lot of those discussions right now. Is that right? Whether it be green bonds or are ways to access PPA. So credit is a huge is a huge issue for people to get over for how they can access a PPA. So it's there's a potential for a credit sleeve or an overbuying on their own PPA and allocating either allocating those costs and benefits down to their supply chain along with the renewable energy credits or working out a different structure that works for everyone that can still achieve that. So there's no clear roadmap for how to do this, unfortunately, I guess. Because each company and their supply chain is going to be unique and, and what kind of hurdles they have to face to be able to get these things done. So it's just a lot of work and a lot of open communication and partnership, as we've mentioned. So it sounds to me like that clean tech advanced degree that you secure is going to come in handy here. I hope so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what I really like about what you're referencing, Joey, is that it's like there are three forces that are coming together, kind of the growth in sustainable corporate sustainability commitments, the need for supply chain programs to work on scope three, and then the boom in sustainability finance. Those three things come together to maybe have have a real impact here. So that's something we'll be on the lookout for more on at Smart Energy Decisions. Alyssa, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you a chance to kind of look into the future. From your perspective, what does the future of the program look like? And what will Honda of America Manufacturing uh, Inc. be doing with their supply chain sustainability program going forward? What would we be talking about three years from now? Definitely scope three. So I'm already partnering with the, the company that we're working for energy management system to put a module together to assist the suppliers in collecting their scope three. So part of that will be, again, the education and then rolling out that module through the company to help our suppliers. So it's definitely scope three. Okay, great. Well, listen, this has been a great conversation. I can't thank you guys enough. Is there anything else in, in closing that either of you would like to to add? Yeah, I just said it's a great partnership with Honda that we've had and I'm looking forward to the next level, next steps. But just scope threes in general, I think you know, looking at the model that Honda's put forth and, and the partnership, the trust, we've, we've hit on all these things that they've built with their supply chain is really a great model for other companies to follow and how to get people engaged in this journey, which is going to take a lot of work and effort from everyone involved. But Honda has been a great model for that. Thank you very much. And the best part is that my job is fun. I love interacting with people. I love learning. Edison Energy has been huge in, in teaching me and my team. We have to learn so that we can help the supply base. And so my team, we're learning with the supply base. So thank you, Edison Energy. Joey has been huge in that. So really, we just get to keep moving forward and enjoying the the journey, keep producing. That's great. Well, I can't think of a better way to close the conversation, Alyssa. That was beautiful. Thanks, Alyssa and Joey, for sharing your insights and experiences with our community. I'll look forward to following your continued collaboration with Honda Supply Chain Partners in the interest of reducing their collective carbon emissions. To our listeners, thanks for engaging with our content and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed the episode, 
Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn about how you can become a part of the next edition of the Renewable Energy Sourcing Forum, click on the links to more information on the event in the show notes for this episode. Our commitment is stronger than ever to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition in this podcast, on our website, and at our events in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.